Hello and welcome back to the Annick Castle podcast. I'm Deborah Beecroft. And I'm Daniel Watkins. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at the work that goes into caring for the amazing objects that you see when you visit Annick Castle. From paintings and chandeliers and wood carvings to documents and the smallest mechanism of clocks and cabinets. Deborah travelled into the Castle's Collections and Archives Department to speak to conservator Stephanie Allen all about her work and the variety of incredible items she comes into contact with every day. We had a really interesting conversation and here it is. Please enjoy. We'd like to welcome to the podcast Stephanie Allen, Object and Archive Conservator at Annick Castle, Scion House and various other places. Hi Steph, how are you? Hi, I'm well. Good. So really the first thing to do is to introduce yourself a little bit and what your role is at Annick Castle and the other places. Well, I'm the Object and Archive Conservator for the Collections and Archives team at Annick and that sort of encompasses a lot of things. The main bit of my job is sort of caring for and conserving the collection, and that involves uh, ensuring that there's a healthy balance between preservation and accessibility of the collections. And in every institution, that balance is different depending on the mandates of that particular institution. So accessibility for any institution can vary and can mean anything from making collections available to researchers, visitors, guests, donors, TV shows, the media, or basically any time the collection is viewed or handled. Annick Castle is especially unique in that regard, as our collections are used every day by the Percy family. And this also means that our solutions to preserve these amazing collections need to be more creative and flexible than, say, a museum. There's lots we must do to ensure the collections are looked after, but the damages we try to prevent can fall under the 10 agents of deterioration. And these are physical forces, thieves and vandals, fire, water, uh, incorrect relative humidity, incorrect temperature, pollution, dissociation, light, and pests. So we try to do everything we can to minimize damage that can be caused by those agents. Our main issue really is moisture, uh, and that could be from incorrect relative humidity, which is the amount of moisture that can be contained in air. And for almost every object that we have, moisture can speed up the process of deterioration in the object. So it can lead to mold, it can lead to cracking of wood, it can lead to uh, tears in paper that becomes really fragile, discoloration, lots of things. It's it's probably the hardest thing to prevent. And what kind of method or measures do you put in place to try and stop that? For incorrect relative humidity, we uh, have a lot of dehumidifiers around and that will just bring the humidity down. And we can also control humidity with heat. So if you raise the temperature of the air, the air can hold a lot more moisture and the relative humidity will, will go down, which seems kind of strange, but that's sort of the balance that we take. So you mentioned wood, paper and all of that kind of thing. So obviously Annick Castle's collection is extensive. And do you deal with all of it? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is also a preventive conservator here uh, that works with us and me and I work with her as well. So she's on the preventative side to, well, prevent problems from arising in the first place. And then I'm on the conservation side, which will deal with problems that uh, do arise but yeah, we do deal with everything from carriages to clocks to carpets to costumes to tables, chandeliers. Pick one thing in the castle <laughs> and I'm sure I've cleaned it. 
you mentioned obviously it's it's different to a museum because it is in use every day so what Mm. might visitors not realize about the fact that this is an everyday house rather than a museum and does that make a difference in what you want people to know about the collection or how to handle it or what to do with it whilst they're here yeah that's a really good question I think visitors should still treat the castle as if it was a museum because it is a museum all the objects that we have uh, in the rooms are all historical and extremely important for researchers even just to know the pattern of the silk on the walls that's really important information and visitors can leave fingerprints on gilt wood on metal if they touch them and uh, that can lead to sort of severe deterioration where we weren't unable to remove those fingerprints um, at a later time. Also, with anything, touching it, we have a lot of oil on our hands, which is why we wear gloves. And over time, that can really change the look of an object and also its structural integrity. Another thing I'd like visitors to know is that like almost everything they see is thoroughly recorded in our system, including condition assessments, photographs, and history of the objects. Uh, They all have their own individual number, and everything they see is not random. Uh, We deep clean the entire castle every year, uh, including the chandeliers, and that is a massive job that takes months and tens of people to do uh, with scaffolding and the whole lot. So some of the chandeliers have thousands of pieces. So how do you actually clean a chandelier? That's a really good question. So we do clean every chandelier every year, but we only deep clean one chandelier um, every year. So we have like maybe five chandeliers. I can't even remember. And we will wet clean that chandelier. So that means completely dismantling the chandelier, uh, taking off every individual piece of crystal or glass, uh, laying them on a table and cleaning them with a mixture of IMS and water, and then rinsing them with like a distilled water afterwards as well, and then reassembling it. So it is a massive job. It takes multiple people and a full plan of how it has been disassembled and then how it has to be reassembled. It involves scaffolding around the chandelier to dismantle it, and it is a huge job, but worth it because they're so sparkly afterwards. <laughs> um, can I just check what is IMS? industrial methylated spirits you mentioned uh, a deep cleaning of the collection that happens sort of once a year in terms of more daily tasks what kind of things do you do i know because i say it you wind the clocks up every week but mm-hmm. what about other things like that a lot of my job is um, repackaging things at the moment so we have a new store being built nearby that we're really excited about and um sort of the big projects i have and that I work on maybe like three times a week is going to the stores and repackaging things that were kind of repackaged maybe a decade ago and sort of need a bit of a refresh. I also do a lot of first aid around the castle, I like to call it, where due to mishandling or accidents, something gets broken. And I have to do a quick condition assessment of the item and repair it or clean it or uh, remove an accretion or something that has appeared. And this is best done kind of as quickly as possible just to avoid dissociation, which is the loss of information on an object or a part of the object. And I rely very heavily on the guides and the cleaners of the castle to inform me of these first aid opportunities. Uh, And 
yeah, they're sort of the first line of defense and I'm, I can only do my job as well as I'm given the opportunity to. Yeah, because the guys and the household staff are in every day so they'll exactly. more likely to see it what yeah. if something does break or have it has an accident with something and you can't fix it what was your next step be it depends on the reason why I can't fix it uh, if it's because I don't have the resources at hand we'll usually put it in a what we like to call a bits box where we'll put it in a little bag and put some information about where it was found what object it's potentially from and uh, wait for either me to have the correct resources or for a contractor conservator who comes in about once a year and sort of goes through the bits box for the more complicated things. If it's because we don't know where it's from, uh, that gets a little bit more complicated because sometimes it might not actually be from the collection. Sometimes it could be a random rock that some visitor has brought in on their shoe. Uh, so that... It will involve a bit more of a thorough assessment. And then once we figure out if it is or isn't, I can then make that decision. What about big projects? So, for example, one of the staterooms was restored a couple of years ago. Were you involved in that? And what kind of things were you doing with that? So I actually arrived after that restoration, but I did have the opportunity to redecorate a room and that involved very similar things removing the gilt wood beading on the wall removing the silk that has been tacked onto the wall uh, cleaning the ceiling repairing the ceiling and then putting everything back <laughs> uh, and that was that took a couple of months and was very satisfying actually um, a lot of the gilt wood was broken so I would repair that like with fish glue and ooh, interestingly the gilt wood pieces had actually been tacked onto the wall with gramophone needles oh. <laughs> I know but they're kind of perfect because uh -huh. they're hard they're and they're thin and they're exactly the right size but we thought that they were sewing needles that had been cut or something, but they weren't the right material. So I just thought that was really interesting. So uh, I managed to find a little collection of gramophone needles at like an estate sale or something. And now I have a collection of these gramophone needles so I can repair any gilt wood pieces that do come off again. Oh, that's um, interesting. And not have to use nails like I found in some of the pieces. So in terms of cleaning a ceiling, obviously that is up there and you have to get there <laughs> so how does something like a job of cleaning a ceiling get done yeah it is uh, back breaking work unfortunately we can't lower the ceiling uh, so we have to raise ourselves and that involves building quite tall scaffolding uh, to get up there that's we're building these scaffolding pieces sort of inside the room so uh, it's very intricate work even just to build it and then once we're up there, we have to stretch and reach to try and clean the ceiling because it's not just a flat piece. It is very thick, probably upwards of like half a meter or something in inside some recesses. So we are, we're needing to get in there with swabs and cotton wool. Uh, we use uh, tack a lot and just water sometimes to uh, bring the colors back to life. If there's scaffolding inside of the room, that will mean that you've got to conserve other pieces as well. Yes. So how do, do, do you cover pieces or do you remove them from the room? A mixture of both. We try to remove what we can, but obviously there are some pieces that uh, cannot be removed, like giant paintings. <laughs> so in that case, 
we'll cover them with polythene usually just to prevent anything from dripping down from like the solvents and stuff that we're using onto the paintings. We will cover a lot of furniture. Um, we try not to move them out of the room just because there is limited space. So what we'll do is we'll put the scaffolding in a specific area and then move everything to another part of the room and then move everything again and then move the scaffolding. So it's intense. <laughs> <laughs> you working at things that have been in the past conserved and quite clearly it's not always how... <laughs> you would do it now. So is there a big change in how conservation's kind of evolved over time? Yeah, totally. It's constantly evolving. A big worry of mine, and uh, I'm sure all conservators, is that even what we do now is going to be considered obsolete in 10 years. So that's why we really prioritize the reversibility of anything we do so that we know that when the time comes that there's a better way to do this, it can be removed and then redone correctly. In the past, though, they have not had this ideal. Looking at the materials and how they have been repaired in the past, I don't know if it's been done by a conservator. A lot of the times you see stuff that have been done just by the household staff as needed, right? You needed to put this piece back, so they did, because that's, that's what was needed at the time. So we're looking at all of that, and it is actually really interesting, and we do document how things were repaired back then because it shows sort of what resources they had at the time, um, the knowledge, the responsibilities they had uh, in their jobs. Um, so I see a lot of really big heavy nails being used to nail in these giltwood, delicate giltwood pieces. I see a lot of glue being used to glue textiles to things, which isn't great. And yeah, just a lot of old materials that don't age well. So tape, a lot people tape pages together, which can then yellow and become really acidic and sort of destroy the paper. And yeah, I think the historical ways of repair, I think in itself is really interesting. And do you think maybe that is partly because it is used as a house? So like you say, things were needed to be done and then it wasn't until they've had a big push for collections and archives and conservative things that maybe it's gone to a different way yeah no know. that's that's totally it I mean we do this every day in our own households right we repair things with tape we repair things with glue and this is just sort of the history of the family and the history of the house and I think that that is like super interesting from just like a visitor perspective to know that these people were repairing things, fixing things, sewing things back together, just like we are. And just because they have sort of a collections department now, there wasn't always a collections department. And uh, I mean, we, I don't have a collections department in my home. Um, <laughs> uh, so I still use glue and I sew things together, darning socks and stuff. And I think that's just shows that we're all kind of human. So you mentioned uh, gramophone needles being used. <laughs> Is there any other interesting things you found when you've been working on pieces of the collection? Any little hidden secrets? <laughs> um, well, whether it's Henry IV's beard or anything that's not Henry IV's beard, <laughs> I'm sure new details or discoveries are still being made through collections and archive work that people might be interested to hear. Showing these things don't stand still in time. So there's a story that somebody sent one of the Dukes and Duchesses of Northumberland, Henry IV's beard, and that is in the collections. Have you ever seen it? I have not. It's been a legend, but I believe it's real. <laughs> <laughs>
strangely enough, though, I'm not actually ever looking at the front of a piece. So I don't find a lot of interesting things. Um, I think the curators are mainly the ones that are making these discoveries. Researchers are making these discoveries. Most of my work is done on the verso. As I'm gluing things, I'm trying to make sure that it's not being seen directly, uh, which means I don't have a lot of opportunity to sort of read what's in front of me or see things. That being said, we do add a lot of things to the record that we have. So nothing huge, but things like if a book was bound in folio form or not, uh, if the picture is a lithograph or an etching, um, if I found a label underneath another label, underneath another label on a frame, if something is made from cotton or plastic, associating a drawing with a certain artist that wasn't recognized before, basically just increasing the amount of knowledge that we have about the piece every time we look at it. Can I just check what's a lithograph? Yes. <laughs> a lithograph is a type of print that was, well, still used today, really. So an etching is you have sort of a piece of usually steel um, and you sort of carve into it uh, to make the image that you want. And then you sort of add ink and then press yeah. it down. A lithograph is more of like a printing technique. So not so much like block with ink or anything, but... You can sort of see the patterns of the colors through a microscope. And there are tons of prints, and it is sometimes very difficult to <laughs> decipher <laughs> the difference between them, especially between like a meso tint and an aqua tint are really difficult, I find. Um, but it's all doable, and you can sort of go by the age of the print. Uh, if you can see any plate marks, then it's an etching or an engraving. And especially if you see a little like 45 out of 50, that's definitely like a print. So it's sort of minimum times that it was done. Yeah, because it shows that there's a limited amount of prints and then it also, there's copies of it. Yeah. And it's flat too. Uh, a lot of etchings and engravings, you'll have like a plate mark around it because of the pressure that's needed to imprint those blocks into the paper uh, while lithograph is just flat. So in terms of the collections and archives, what do you enjoy the most about your job within that? And what fascinates you about working in somewhere like this? I mean, the first answer to that is obviously just the beauty of the place that I work at. You know, walking in every day and seeing this castle is something that can't be understated. But especially about my job is I really, really enjoy problem solving. Uh, and what's so special about this collection is that it's privately owned and used. And this results in so many new opportunities for being resourceful and creative. My conservator preservation head in me <laughs> tells me to wrap everything up in tissue and store it in a dark room, in a really dry room, and never look at it again. But uh, the job sort of forces me to say, no, we have to make this accessible for the public or for researchers. So how do we best support this object's journey in becoming accessible? And uh, the answer is never the same, no matter if you're working with mirrors or a book or coronation robes, uh, it's, always, it's always different and always interesting. So what are some of your favorite things that you've worked on? Something really interesting for me to work on was this framed illuminated parchment paper commemorating George Percy in 1869. It was mounted in a really acidic mount. I thought I was just going to open it up, add a protection layer, do like a quick clean, and then close up the frame. But when I opened it up, I found that it had been tacked all the way around the edges with tiny little nails. And there must have been over like 50 tacks or something on this like, you know, medium-sized document. 
And it was really interesting because I'd never seen that kind of attachment style before. And it was also really satisfying to remove and repair just because you were really able to see the progress of your work. I also really enjoyed removing layers of wallpaper that were found in the estate's office during a renovation. I found about like seven different types of wallpaper all layered on top of each other um, throughout the room with one wall having about, yeah, four or five layers, like just pasted directly on top of each other. So that was really cool to see the history of how that room was redecorated. And we have all those saved now in our collections. And what about just Jenny, what what pieces do you like the most? Some of my favorite items, I think, would be we have some original sketches from Beatrix Potter of Peter the Rabbit in our picture store. They're so detailed and very pretty, um, and it really puts the illustrations in a new light to sort of see them structured like that. There's also this gorgeous little clock in one of the bathrooms that's just so satisfying to wind it has such a great click 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 click. Uh, it has these like perfect little chimes and ticks of the hand and it's so dainty and lovely and has really delicate metal work on it there's also this household controller book that is i think on display in the breakfast room and it has these adorable little chapter tabs made of like red paper and with red little spheres on the end. And the book itself is really interesting, but as I've said, I don't really get to read much of what I work on. So what I sort of focus on is just the the cute little red tabs on the edge of the book that, you know, I would have to repair or that do stand out to me. <laughs> but what about other things that are on display? What would you recommend visitors go and look for when they come next season? Visitors should look out for the new carpet in the lower guard chamber and uh, the grand staircase in the upper guard chamber. And they should also try to guess which staircase rod is fully brass and uh, not hollow steel with a brass overlay on it. There's only one. And all of the uh, staircase rods have been recently cleaned and straightened with new finials and acorns put on the ends where they had been lost but the old ones have been cleaned and put on and some new ones so they can try to guess which one is fully brass and which ones are original so once we finish can you tell me which one's real yes off the record of thank course. you very much Conservation-wise, they can try to spot all of the like white RH sensors that we have hidden around. So maybe instead of looking for lions, they can look for some fun white <laughs> relative <laughs> humidity sensors. <laughs> and just taking a look at sort of the base of the objects, you might not notice this, but a lot of the objects will have like a plastizote, which is sort of like a, a black kind of foam uh, underneath them to prevent them from scratching whatever surface they're on. You will also, I think, be able to notice the ways in which objects are secured in their display cases. Uh, so we can use a lot of, or we try to use a lot of invisible mounts so that visitors don't notice, but that's not always possible. So the next time you're in maybe the breakfast room, you can have a look at some of the books and see how they're open to that specific page. They can't just be floating open, right? They will be supported in that way that will prevent them from breaking or being unsupported in a way that can damage them and they're open to the page that we would like them to be and um, a lot of the stuff are sort of elevated tilted up kind of in a way that's safe for them and also creates the best visitor experience. Just going back to the carpet that was laid over a few days whilst we were actually open for the season and visitors were coming through. Do you find that hard to do whilst doing conservation work whilst 
we're open to the public or is it interesting? Do you enjoy people asking questions whilst you're working? Or? You know, I do enjoy doing it um, in front of the public. It can be a little bit scary, obviously, as doing any sort of really delicate work in front of a crowd is. But I, I do like the interest that the public shows in what we do. Uh, and I think this kind of job is so unknown. It, it's really important to sort of get that information out. And the public are really interested in what we're doing whenever I'm trying to remove some gum off the floor or uh, remove a nail that's been embedded in the carpet or uh, putting a piece of wood carving back onto the base of a table. Yeah, it's, I, I think they find it really interesting. I know I enjoy talking about it. And yeah, it is a bit scary, but rewarding. Well, I think that's everything, Steph. So thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. No, oh, you're very welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> How was it speaking to Steph? What did you find out about caring for collections? It was really interesting, yeah. It was the sort of level of detail that has to go into something and how, although it's a lot of work, how little you actually see because, like Steph said, a lot of it's on the back of things and also the huge variety of jobs she has to do, whether that is getting gum off a carpet or cleaning a ceiling 25 foot in the air. Yeah, and in such a huge building as well, uh, you've really got to know where everything is which must be a really tough task yeah and she does a great job absolutely she must be very organized to make sure very organized (laughs) Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of the annette castle podcast please let your friends know every like helps you can leave a review or a rating on wherever you get your podcasts and you can let us know what you thought of the episode by emailing podcast at annettcastle.com we'll be back in two weeks with a special episode to celebrate international women's day Until then, I've been Deborah. I've been Daniel. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.